0: This is Annabelle Steele, and you're listening to the Hayseed Scholar from Professor Brent Steele. You may call him doctor, I just call him dad. Here's my Uncle Kyle to introduce the show.
1: Recording in studios from Utah to the UK and anywhere in between, you never know where Professor Brent Jameson Steele will be dropping knowledge and bringing you the best guests the universe has to offer. This is the Hayseed Scholar with Mr. Worldwide, my brother, Dr. Brent Jameson Steele. I like that one. Everyone. Welcome to the Hayseed Scholar Podcast. I'm Brent Steele. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is an interview with Jennifer Mitson professor from The Ohio State University. Jennifer and I have known one another for some time. Uh, we both have mutual interests in ontological security studies, so we talk a little bit about that. We're both from the Midwest. We talk a little bit about that. Uh, we both uh, travel sometimes to conferences with our Kids, so we talk a little bit uh, about that, and uh, it was just a really enjoyable conversation. We conducted this in Providence at the ISA Northeast uh, Conference, which is a conference I've uh, come to enjoy. It's, uh, I've been going to it for well over a decade and have a lot of good friends and colleagues there. Uh, Jennifer was also on a round table that my buddy Harry Gould put together. Uh, to discuss my recently published book, Restraint in International Politics. That was enjoyable. That was very fun. First time I've ever had that experience. So we talk a little bit about that as well. And Jennifer ahead of time sent me kind of a narrative that folks, us scholars have to kind of write up every once in a while uh, about ourselves. And um, and that proved really useful for shaping uh, some of our discussion. So you'll hear us... Uh, refer to that uh, every once in a while uh, during the interview. But this is uh, about an hour, hour and a half of uh, an interview and I really hope you enjoy it. Jennifer Mitson, He Scholar, episode 5. Thanks everyone. Hope everyone's doing well. So I don't even know. So you told me that you're from the Midwest. You're a Midwestern uh, kid. But where did you specifically call?
0: I'm from Evanston, Illinois. Which is just north of Chicago. We grew up near uh, Northwestern.
1: So were were your maybe and again whatever you don't want to talk about just let me know. But um, were your parents like academics themselves or no?
0: They're uh, they're both still with me. Okay. <laughs> they're uh, neither one is an academic. They actually moved to Evanston um, in the '60s when they they had lived in Chicago. They moved to Evanston when uh, it desegregated the public schools and there was white flight. My parents were like, "This is where we want to live. We're oh. going." So yeah, so they moved to bought a house in Evanston at that time Um, oh wow yeah
1: so So was um did you feel like the like what were the schools like that you went to I mean were they they weren't volatile or anything right no no?
0: it was was great I mean Mm -hmm. the local school I went to the local school for a couple years but then um, I lotteried into this other school that was actually pretty cool it's called the Martin Luther King Jr. Experimental Laboratory School (laughs) and it was a bussing white kids into a black neighborhood for school uh-huh. and it was kind of it was uh different grades mixed together and abilities based and kind of just all kinds of things I don't H- know if how you're, old were you this was like second grade to fifth and then seventh and eighth because it went oh. it was k to eight. Oh, okay so, so what so
1: was yeah. that like it was was it, was it cool
0: it was a really cool school uh-huh. yeah it was really excellent and um it was all about as you might imagine, thinking for yourself and being the best you can be, and all of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a really great
1: school. So it did. Um, so even at that time, were, were there particular subjects that you liked um, at your school? Did you play sports? <laughs> no. You, why, why is that funny? <laughs> just
0: uncoordinated. I did oh, I, No, okay. I didn't do any sports. Uh, uh, well, I mean, just
1: growing up in the Midwest, sports are like such a big.
0: I I really became good at being a fan. So,
1: <laughs> right, I know. Well, I've seen it. some of your narratives, and you and I have talked about it. You, you are into sport. You're into sports, right? Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I grew up in a family. Uh, my dad and brothers all did both did sports, and mm-hmm. um, so big Cub fan family. Sure. And uh, so, yeah, big Chicago sports family. Were you into
1: the Bears or not?
0: I was when they were winning in the 80s. Right. I was into you're the winning. Jim McMahon and, yeah, the, the, the album they put out.
1: In that. Super Bowl Shuffle. <laughs> Super Bowl yes. Shuffle,
0: yes. That was my Bears moment. That was your, so, and how many brothers? <laughs> Two.
1: Two. Okay. And older and younger. Oh, So you're the middle child. Yeah. Okay. Um, so which, yeah, so get back to uh, the question I asked. Which, like, topics did you like when you were, like, d- even when you were a kid, were you interested in international relations or not really or...?
0: No, not really. I mean, I just, I was into school, but I wasn't really, there wasn't really one thing, Mm -hmm. I would say, especially at the grammar school.
1: Were you even thinking about, about, like, were you thinking about international relations at all when you were a kid? Like, I mean, for me, I was growing up in, you know, like, during the Cold War, or like, the end of the Cold War, so I was thinking about it a lot, but I didn't, um...
0: Politics, definitely, but mm-hmm. not necessarily international politics. I actually didn't think of international politics as IR till grad school. Oh, I didn't okay. do it as an undergrad. I didn't do it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just my family. Just politics was always something that was there and talked about, mm-hmm. uh, but not necessarily international.
1: Were your parents politically active?
0: Um, yeah, politically active in the sense, in sort of the local politics way, and mm-hmm. so, like, in the 70s, we, the, around the Watergate patch period, yeah. we took a family trip down to D.C., and, you know, they wanted to, us to see where it was happening, we went to the Watergate Hotel, and I remember, this one moment stood out vividly, it was, I was just a little kid, but we saw, we were in a parking garage, and my mom points to this guy, and he goes, that's Barry Goldwater, that's a bad man, <laughs> And it wasn't
1: very, was it very white? i I I'm, I'm have sure. no idea. I bet it was.
0: <laughs> Some
1: white guy. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. By then. Um, well, that's cool. So, so um, yeah. So,
0: that was big in my, and they, talking about the, um, you know, we grew up knowing where my parents were when Kennedy was shot, and that mm-hmm. my dad volunteered for Robert Kennedy. So, it was very lefty, um, progressive politics. Right.
1: And, did you guys talk about it, like at, like the dinner table or any of that stuff, or...
0: Um, not systematically, Mm because I was too busy fighting with my brothers most of the time at the dinner table, so, (laughs) I mean, it was more more like a typical family, it wasn't Mm -hmm. like the, um, it was those fascinating dinners where we debated this, that got me into this, that wasn't, that wasn't
1: necessarily, yeah. Um, so how did you decide on Wesleyan then, for, for your uh, university?
0: Well, that's a, because your,
1: your BA's in economics. Economics from Wesleyan, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, That's a really good question. I I mean, I was reflecting on that because you asked me that, uh, or that stood out to you when I sent you the CV initially. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure there's any big reason except that um, kind of thinking about what was going on in my family and my, you know, my dad uh, and mom. I'm not a first-generation advanced degree, but it's, but, you know, my dad went to law school, and then he put himself through law school when he had a little kid, and mm-hmm. then he hated law, what he was doing, so we switched careers, and my mom was, like, she went to college when I was in school. And it was, like, I felt as if it, what it meant to be successful in our family was to be able to go out east for college, right? Like, that was just a big thing. And my really? brothers, like, yeah. yeah, that was, like, part of... You know my parents were able to send us all to these great colleges, and mm-hmm. I think that that was kind of what was going on and going out east meant getting this um, great mm-hmm. education. I mean you know obviously now I would look at it differently, but uh, in terms of thinking about school, but mm-hmm. to me, at that time getting getting a great education meant going out east
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that's what I did. <laughs>
1: And I, how, did you, like, how did you focus on Wesleyan as opposed to other schools? Or, or were, was there really no debate? It was just like that's what... No, I,
0: I liked Wesleyan because I liked, um, Wesleyan cause it had the strong academics and also the strong arts. So it was kind mm-hmm. of like the combination of the two that I really liked. That, that was its profile. It was kind of lefty-progressive, and it had these really strong academics, but then it also had this fantastic... Um, theater and arts, and I just wanted to be in that kind of an environment did, that did had both. I didn't do theater, but I did I did dance when I was in. college. Oh really? Yeah.
1: Were you doing that in high school too? Or? A little bit
0: in high school, but uh-huh. then in, in college I got more into it, and uh, and so I did that. I didn't major in it or anything, um, but I but did, did that on the side. I did a few. Yeah, a mm-hmm. few with friends who were choreographers and stuff. Do, do you so,
1: do you do you think that helps you with uh, your stage presence when you're presenting at conferences, or is it just like <laughs> apples to like there's no uh, translation between the two?
0: Well, that's a that's a funny question because mm-hmm. um, it, not so much those experiences on the stage at that time, but um, I also, when I was in college, started an aerobics program with a friend of mine. So we started a club and then you, after you college, started it like yeah, my you friend were. and i did mm-hmm. and then after college um when i was living in manhattan between college and grad school um for a couple of those years i that was my profession i was a trainer
1: and a role uh, instructor
0: and and fitness trainer yeah and that experience i think translates really well into the classroom i gotta say i'm still struck by it because it's you know, it's it's and in about terms of coaching
1: them um, and, and
0: coaching, being able to be attentive to different levels mm-hmm. at the same time. Because whenever you're teaching any class, whether it's a fitness class or an IR class, mm-hmm. you teach to the center. That's right. But you have to accommodate the, the really fantastic, think for themselves, or you know, the polabolist dancer who mm-hmm. comes into your class and on the other end the person who's just starting out and barely has the confidence and you want to make sure you're keeping them in there and that part of it is really the same so you kind of get things going down the middle lane right Mm -hmm. and then you have to pick up the edges and keep the energy of the room that's right. right yeah so in that sense I think it's actually really uh similar
1: did you how so how like do you still do aerobics instruction or no okay no. <laughs> could you, if you like, could you? Do you think you could pick it right back up if you wanted to do it? Or?
0: I don't. I haven't the slightest idea. <laughs> I think I'd probably be in such pain
1: <laughs> after
0: one. After one you'd, one, you'd be able to do one and yeah, then be sore for weeks. Yeah, yeah. I'd be gone.
1: <laughs> um, well, and one of the narratives that, uh, of the materials that I will look through ahead of this, you you did mention. So I'm interested in how you ended up in e- economics because you mentioned when you were younger you. You had a confident sense of your own intelligence, especially in the "quote unquote" boy fields of math and analytics. So, you're quoting me. Sorry,
0: that's awful. No, it's no, it's. it's,
1: (laughs) It's great, I mean, no, or, was it one of those things that you were, I, we don't, we, we don't have Well, to it's do like
0: pull-outs, remember I told you I went to that weird school, right? So they right. So they pull out for various things. Right, and so you were
1: identified as talented and gifted uh, early on, right? Yeah, or, or they,
0: yeah, they put you in a different class, or they do this, it's like, oh, there's a girl who likes to do that, we're gonna have this special thing on Saturday at the National College of Education, and only for girls, you know, those uh-huh. kinds of things, um, and actually, as a, you know, it was good to have those things because once you get to – reflecting back, it was good I had those things because I feel like later on, some of the difficulties in grad school or whatever, where you're not getting the validation, external validation, That's right. I reflected back and thought, thank God I had that kind of internal stuff going mm-hmm. on because uh, – and so you realize – that that kind of thing is important to set the the basis.
1: Mm-hmm. And then so, and then did that like how did you or when in in your time at Wesleyan did you decide on econ as your major?
0: Um, that was pretty early on. I think uh, was it
1: because you had a particular class that you liked, or was it always something that was in the back of your mind going in? Or
0: it was because um, it had the math. I was actually math econ at first. Oh okay. And, uh, and then I dropped the math and stuck it out with econ um, because it combined, I felt like it combined the social and the analytical mm-hmm. in in a way uh, where I felt kind of compelled to do something that was productive and useful, um, and that seemed to fit the bill. But it never really clicked that well with me. I did it as a major, but I never really, and the reason I, I changed from math econ to regular econ mm-hmm. was that it, I don't feel as if the the formal stuff that was going on at one level wasn't really internalizing into kind of what it would mean on the ground and mm-hmm. politics of it and stuff. But so there's it there's like a special.
1: Things. So this shows my absolute ignorance. This is awful, and I'm in a, a college that's just devoted to social and behavioral sciences. So I should know this, but there's actually a separate or a related major of math econ that's like a specification of an econ degree or
0: there was at that oh really at okay this, i think so uh-huh. i just i thought of myself as math econ and my advisor was a math econ guy uh-huh um he stuck with me even when i dropped the math part and still
1: was your advisor um, he was still like yeah through, through yeah econ? Um, did you know? Like econ seems to me like it is a little bit of a. I mean, business school is especially so. the econ feels to me like it's a little bit more of a. There's a gender disparity there. Did you feel like you were, like one of the few women in? in yeah, your that major? definitely,
0: definitely. I remember my my math econ class with um with Professor Bonan, and there were nine of us,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I was the one. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, and I didn't do all that well in that class, but uh, well enough, but it would just, it, it just was so hard, <laughs> and I was like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: So did you, when did you make the decision to go to grad school? Did you, was it really not until you got to your senior year, or did you do anything in between your bachelor's and your master's?
0: Yeah, I, t- I took three years off. You did? That okay. was the, the living in Manhattan, <gasps> teaching aerobics. So that was the yeah. period of
1: time that you were doing this. So yeah. what was Manhattan like? What were you, I mean, you you had to be in what probably your twenties and you're living yeah, in Manhattan. Yeah, so that had to be awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was cool. After I graduated um, college, I didn't know what to do, and so I didn't want to go back to Chicago, back to Evanston.
1: Did your parents um, want you to come back or not? Or were your I think so. Like, They're yeah. pretty
0: cool about it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have done it if they weren't cool about it. But I had this, like, first of all, I just wanted to go to New York. But second of all, I just felt like if I went back to Chicago, I'd be, like, pushed in ways to do things that were expected of me. Like, mm-hmm. I just felt like I'd be all, you know, routed in a direction. Mm-hmm. And going to New York, I felt like this was the way I was going to discover what I was meant to do with my life. And I would try everything and find the thing that was mm-hmm. me. Um so I moved there and I didn't have any family there and I just knew a couple people and uh then kind of tried to figure out what I wanted to do. Who you, did
1: you, did you live in an apartment by yourself or did you have a room? like how how do you even like or was it like somebody from college was was like yeah let's go to New Yeah, York I had a
0: childhood friend who uh, was living there who had graduated she had gone to school at Columbia and um so I moved in with her and her boyfriend. That lasted a little while, and then didn't last anymore. That's a very I don't know if you've ever done that before, but it's not like the best way to live with a friend. That
1: we're yeah, I had a few roommates, <laughs> other girlfriends. They weren't the girlfriends weren't supposed to be a part of our roommate sort of team, but they just ended up there, and then one of us would end up leaving.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. so it was kind of like that. So I w- ended up leaving, and then it was just about finding different spots, subletting from someone, and moving in, and
1: all yeah. while you're doing the the, the, well, first, the exercise and well, uh, science or not science, but like instruction and everything, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I
0: started um, I started with my econ degree in hand, uh, kind of with a pension fund management firm, and mm-hmm. I was just kind of doing some accounting stuff oh really in new york because <laughs> uh-huh. i felt like that's what i should do with my degree and i vividly remember this day i was mi- absolutely miserable it was a good job i was just utterly miserable and one day and i don't know how i arranged this because this was like 1988 and there's no you know phone internet whatever. oh yeah. Yeah, yeah so i have no idea a, i found out when professor bonin's office hours were and i got a roll of like dimes or quarters or whatever and i went in my lunch hour to the New York Post Office where they had the uh, this rows of phones, yeah. pay phones. Yep. And, yeah. and I called them I was like, Hi, this is this is Jen Mitson calling. I have a job and I hate it and you know, do I need to be in a job like this if I ever want to go to grad school? Mm-hmm. And he he's like, You wanna go to grad school? And I was like, I think I do. I just don't know what subject I want to go in yet but do i have to do this job while i'm figuring it out and he's like you're 22 like do whatever you want to do yeah. you're still it'll all still be there and i don't know exactly what he said but it left me with that lesson and so um so yeah i quit the job
1: right did you stick around i didn't quit around? that
0: day i finished out the day but by the within a week i had quit the job and i gave my two weeks notice but the guy was like you know you could just go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you want.
0: I wasn't cut out to be an accountant. Like, accounting's not my
1: thing. Did you stay in New York then, though? For and then while? I
0: stayed in New York and auditioned for different studios, and I got a <clears throat> job with this place called Body by Jake and Tina. Mm-hmm. So, um,
1: the Body by Jake guy that was on TV?
0: Yeah. 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 That, seriously? So he was in California. And he did you ever meet a, him? Yeah, he came and did, you know, trainings. Uh-huh. So...
1: Because um, he always had the exercise show on like uh, ESPN right. or Andrew. whatever, yeah.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's the uncle of um, what's her name, uh, Haley Steinfeld. Oh, really? <laughs>
1: I know so did was there a part of you? So even then, when you were doing that, though, you had this assumption that you're still going to go on to grad school. But but, would, have you ever thought about whether you, if you just would have stayed in that? Line of work, like what, yeah, like? I
0: have because I took like uh anatomy, kinesiology, movement stuff in school. In Did college. you have like a minor in it? No, I, I didn't take enough to do, or I didn't think a, of it. You took it a took few, some...
1: you took enough classes to be knowledgeable in it, though, yeah,
0: yeah. And it was super interesting. And I took a couple, like a training when I was in Manhattan. With this is woman, um, Irene Dowd, about what kind of imagining movement, mind body mm-hmm. stuff. And I actually went to I can't remember if it was Barnard or Columbia. They had an advanced degrees, a degree in um, A&K, uh, movement stuff, kinesiology. Mm-hmm. And I thought about doing that for a while. But I was ultimately, it just wasn't really for me. I just wasn't that interested, and I mm-hmm. felt like I was... Um, I mean, I moved on from, by the way, Jake, to manage a studio down in the West Village, and I was... You manage
1: it yourself.
0: I was just the manager. I was oh, not the oh, owner. Oh, you were... Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and I just... I was kind of... Felt like all people wanted to talk to me about was like, if I eat this bagel, <laughs> is it better if I have butter or cream cheese? Right. And then if I run five <laughs> miles, do I erase the bagel? And it's, there's only so many conversations like that.
1: You Before you're really just like, yeah.
0: Uh. <laughs> so, and that's... Yeah, so um, so I was started looking through, I always wanted to be a writer, and mm-hmm. I started looking through answering ads for things, and I got a cool internship with a publication on um, Middle East politics and oil. Oh, wow. And so um, it was a very small publication um, and super low-paying. <laughs> But uh so I did that for about a year. How did
1: you how, how did you like were you interested in those topics already or I mean Yeah, how, how did yeah. You okay.
0: I was interested it was econ so I right. could leverage that. Um I had done in college I had written um a paper that we then put in the undergraduate economics review so I could mm. use that to get in. And um Middle East, it was, you know, I had been to Israel. Mm-hmm. I had done some stuff. I was able to kind of talk the talk. The The guy, um, David, the guy who was the editor, he was this Lebanese um, journalist mm-hmm. uh, from an old Lebanese family. And um, he was, I don't know, we just kind of, he was, he was great. Mm-hmm. And he was a really good uh, mentor for that year that I did that. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I just...
1: And so then, was that when you knew for sure you wanted to go to grad school then? Or? Yeah, because yeah. I
0: talked with him, and I said, well, what what can I do? I really like what I'm doing here, but I want to do more. I don't, you know, I want to be able to do more, like a, maybe be a reporter or maybe mm-hmm. be an investigative journalist. And he said, well, you need to go for a master's degree, um, and why don't, you know, like, so he gave me some mm-hmm. advice. And then I applied to U um, of C Committee on International Relations, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they gave me money to come, so I decided to go there, and then once I got there, mm-hmm. after my first semester, no, quarter, first quarter there, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and then I just applied to the PhD program.
1: So you didn't, um were there other, like... Were there other folks that were there initially like you for the masters that you were interacting with? Or were you able to interact with, like, PhD students as well from, from the get-go? Or Yeah,
0: the CIR, they put you in the classes with both.
1: They did? Okay, yeah. so you have you, so, all of them are grouped. Yeah,
0: at least when I was there, they did. Uh-huh. I think it's gotten a lot bigger. I'm not sure how they've organized it now. But, mm-hmm. yeah, so the classes were with the same faculty, mm-hmm. and um, the students overlapped. So it was. It was a really. It was a great experience. And so
1: you went straight from master's to PhD, all yeah. just like seamlessly, then, kind of. Or yeah, I mean, did, you do a, did you do a master's thesis? I did. You did, and was it related then to what yeah. became your dissertation? Or it not? wasn't,
0: but it was. It was. Um, it really got me interested in, in IR yeah. a lot more deeply. It was with um, Lloyd Rudolph. It was on a um, why. Do we think of Kenneth Waltz as an advance over Hans Morgenthau?
1: Really? Yeah. Did you do anything with that? Did you publish it?
0: No. I I didn't do anything with that. I didn't know what to do with it.
1: Oh, yeah. Right. right? Especially back then, right? Yeah, like I
0: just... But it was cool. It was like I discovered the structure of scientific revolutions, and I kind of was really... um, I just, I was so interested in that kind of way of thinking, and yeah, it was from the very first semester I got there when I took Charles Lips' intro to IR, uh-huh. and we did Waltz in that class, um, and then, yeah, so that was... And so were you
1: critical of Waltz being an improvement over Morgenthau, or yeah. were, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, the idea was that what gets lost when you, when you adopt this narrow notion of what science is and what progress is, uh-huh. um...
1: So then, did, were you intending when you got into the PhD that that was going to be your dissertation, or, or did things just transform like to a different? What became your the topic, which I think was your, um, your book, right?
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: public. the book is obviously different than a dissertation, but um, so how did you get uh, uh, interested in PhD on uh, the concert in Europe?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question, because, um, well, what, taking a meta view, okay. <laughs> one way to reflect on grad school is that there's two kinds of people that go to grad school. Mm-hmm. One is, like, they're super direct, and they go in, they know what they want to do, they take classes that are very geared towards the project that they want to do, and that's an awesome way to go to grad school. Mm-hmm. But another way is, like, I really know some interesting questions I want to Sink into, mm-hmm. but I'm not quite sure, like how to articulate those questions, which subfield they fall into, you know, and mm-hmm. and and how, and that was more me. So I was kind of discovering a lot of different and being a little things. bit experimental and yeah.
1: different ones. Yeah.
0: So for a while, um, my first dissertation was on Arendt, Um and I was just gonna look at her um, papers between origins and human conditions oh, wow. that patch of time and kind of just I raise a question from that
1: um and so was theory maybe your so then I, yeah your?
0: but the and then the problem there was that I really didn't have the the depth and breadth of mm-hmm. knowledge of a, of somebody who could convincingly go on the market that way and also I just I wasn't sure who with whom I would work mm-hmm. um because the aren't seminar that I had taken that got me so intrigued was with Michael Geyer over in the history department mm-hmm. um, it was like it was a, a fascinating seminar that we just read each everything by her mm-hmm. and and um, and and so bringing that back in to my department and who the folks I had um, there was one faculty member who said to me Aren, you should go back to the you shouldn't be looking at aren't. you should be looking at Heidegger, or you should be yeah. looking at whatever. Oh, wow. So, um, so then I was like, oh, bummer. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then kind of shifted over to uh, keeping that focus on on public, mm-hmm. which is what then comes out in that ah, Okay. But, so. And then how
1: did, I mean, where, where did you um, discover, or not discover, but where, was it in a class, or did you just, like, on your own get into Habermas?
0: Habermas was, was
1: and it was, and Habermas was making the rounds around this time in IR. Yeah, and that was really
0: the, um, that was part of it because again, the idea of public for my own kind of brainstorming. Because if you think about like what helps you be, helps you think, right? Uh So that was the stuff that was helping me think, but, and then it comes the moment where you want to translate it into something that is a a pro, you know a product yeah, right. ultimately that is uh, successful in the audience that you want it for and that just required where the discipline was required habermas mm-hmm. it seemed it, it felt as if it did so
1: uh, how and deep i was did told
0: you... that 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 was a good choice
1: right so how deep did you get like did you read tca or, or the communicative action or like did you go all was, whole hog in the, I, in the habermas to even if that wasn't necessarily, you know, you didn't have to use all of it necessarily in the book, I, but I didn't go
0: ho Haug. Have you gone?
1: Done oh dear God! No, <laughs> no I, um, I tried to. I tried to read like I don't know the first I don't know fifty pages of Theory of Communicative Action. I was like, I'm done. I can't do that. I just yeah. shifted, and then I, and then I got so like dejected from it. And I was like, I'll just read Habermasian IR. and I are others translated. I won't read Habermas, but. Um, but uh, but you had to read. I mean, you structural
0: transformation was the real the thing that I kept coming back to, uh-huh. and that just that just really spoke to me more because it was that intermixing of the history with the theory, and that was much more um, that I resonated with me more, and I could hold on to it more. And were
1: you were you reading any of this for classes, or is this at the point where you're? So you said that you did have a dissertation idea with the rent. Yeah. But um, but you had to divert from a rent. So were you already ABD at that point when you shifted over to Habermas? Or excuse me, to, to this other topic? Or um, yeah,
0: I think so. Gosh, it's so long ago that it's it's hard to to re-enter that space and figure that out. Um, but it started as. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but what I did was I took the idea of the public, and I thought, where do we find this? And now we uh-huh. are, right? Like, I have to move this back. And I thought of um, uh, Civil War settlements, because mm-hmm. that was another big thing in yeah. the, like, the 90s when I was yeah. in school. Um, and that creation of a shared space whether it's in a post-conflict context or whatever Mm -hmm. and um I kind of hovered around there for a while because there were folks at um at Chicago who were working on Civil War Settlement so I kind of was absorbing some of that stuff but I knew I didn't want to take that angle Mm -hmm. um and then there was um and then I got uh um Pipes, the the program on oh, international politics, and yeah, America, yeah, yeah. the workshop uh-huh. that that we did. There was one year, it was towards I can't remember which year in the nineties that they had um, a Pipes coordinator who was determined to bring constructivism to um, to University of Chicago. So every speaker that year was
1: constructivist. Was it
0: constructivist? Yeah, so they. What so year they,
1: would this have been? God, I
0: don't know. It was in the nineties.
1: That had but to be so ahead of. I'm just thinking about how d- delayed yeah. it was everywhere else in the US Academy when I was in grad school. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm trying to think. this was the mid or, mid 90s. Uh-huh. So, oh, that mid to been, late 90s. That so was it was so really fortuitous. cool. So there was you, yeah. ruggy and there were, and I and I may be condensing a couple of years into sure, one. No, year, but still
1: even having like those speakers. Yeah,
0: so Finnemore came in and Ruggy came in and and Alex came in mm-hmm. and um uh a lot of you know, and so we had that opportunity, and everybody went to pipes, and so mm-hmm. people were engaging with these ideas. And that was really the way that I kind of learned that there were other ways to right. think um, about it. So, I um, so that was kind of
1: got me. To- Did, so was there so, two like maybe in two different ways, were there any fault lines? This is just my ignorance of, of Chicago and the environment back then, but were there any? Um, paradigmatic fault lines like were the realists did they feel threatened by the constructivists at all or or not i mean like even just having constructivists around a and and or b was there the quant the typical quantitative qualitative divide that that you hear about in other programs around that time or
0: i the not really i mean k when did kkv come out
1: 94
0: Okay. So, but there it was, was really
1: thing. making the. I think it was ninety four. But it was really. It felt to me like when I was looking at grad programs in the late nineties that it was really making the rounds and as like the, the only way to do if you have to do qualitative research that right. And that's and what maybe it that was. was. Okay. That's what it was. Okay. I
0: mean, I remember there was a pipe session on KKV, and some of my um, colleagues, uh, you know, grad student colleagues, spoke on it, and that was considered the way to bring qualitative mm-hmm. in in the way to kind of keep it alive and important. Um, so yeah, so there wasn't really a debate because there wasn't a...
1: another side to it, right?
0: Hegemonic <laughs> discourse. Mm-hmm. There was. It was the the kind of thing where you had a seminar on. IR theory, and then you had that gar- the last garbage bag day where you had <laughs> yeah. the reflectivists, and it included everything just from. everything in
1: <laughs> <like, like, local laughs> And, and local, then,
0: yeah. and then the big center was just like, "What are they talking about?" <laughs> right, like, <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> yeah. Were there other grad students in your program though that were getting taken with constructivism around this time then, or do you remember? Or?
0: I you know, I don't no I can't did
1: I mean, you I mean in, in your grad program did you also like would you guys go out to like a happy hour and debate like IR theory or any of that or was it not really I
0: if there was there were groups like that I'm not I wasn't in those groups
1: so what, <laughs> were you, were, you, you just kind of went off on your own and did a, a, reading and yeah and I did
0: had did a, re, a couple of close friends um and I'm from Chicago so I also did a lot that was not, I wasn't as deeply embedded in the grad scene. Right, because you, you had family, um, you had old and my friends. Ch- all my high school friends, yeah. and childhood friends and stuff. So I kind of um, I was in but not of in, mm-hmm. in some ways, um, and kind of, and I you know grad school's hard for everybody. It is. So yeah. it was it wasn't well, and I know from
1: your narrative, it seemed like it was pretty dude heavy as well, right? Um, yeah, so and, like and was- even
0: somewhat numerically, but certainly mm-hmm. culturally. Right. Yeah. Um. So, I, and, yeah, so it was mm-hmm. pretty male. <laughs> <laughs> Which is okay,
1: but it has its own sort of...
0: Yeah, and I'm still, I actually fi- feel some of the folks that, I, you know, I feel, I love running into people from grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, at at <laughs> conferences and stuff, and grabbing a drink with them or a meal, or whatever. Like, uh-huh. they're great. Um, but the, the experience of going through... It can just be hard especially when you're in a, when you're coming from a perspective or a framework that's just not
1: I you know what's so interesting is I mean not just the people I've talked to for this podcast but also just people I've talked to they they have it's one extreme or the other they either were like like can like you know he was at Warwick and it was just there was a group of seven or eight of them that would always go out and you know talk all through the and and or it's At the very other end, where it's like, no, I was just kind of keeping my head down and doing my own work, and you know, I mean, like you were saying, it's it's hard enough, and so, um, okay, well then, did did you when did you start going to conferences? Were you doing that in grad school? Um, yet do you remember?
0: I I don't.
1: Because this would have been the time when there were still like infamous ISAs, right? Like it was like it was still small enough where everybody kind of knew it. It felt at least this is what the lore has been told me, right? So the ISA now is 6,000 people, 7,000 people, but back then it was like everyone kind of sort of knew everybody, even if they didn't like one another, um, and so, but, um, and and I think like the late 90s, early 2000s is when it was still that way, and then it kind of started to shift a little bit. Did you go to an ISA, or?
0: Well, it's funny, because it wasn't, I was in grad school in the 90s, It, it throughout the 90s, mm-hmm. and... Uh, it wasn't a conference people
1: went to went to because it was still kind of just starting out right <laughs> it yeah. was
0: APSA or nothing like right. I just didn't even think and <laughs> yep. there was one year that I went because somebody a connection I had made in um, in New York from my New York days I was still in touch and I said I'm thinking about this kind of civil war thing because it's public blah blah, blah blah and she goes oh you've got to talk to so and so they're going to be in town for this conference because it's in Chicago and I was like oh I wrote it down and I got to interview somebody that was involved in like the El Salvador,
1: and that was an ISA,
0: and that was an ISA. <laughs>
1: and <laughs> and was so that was the
0: one that I went to, just to do that, and then I went back to Hyde Park. Uh, so <laughs> um, yeah, but so ISA didn't emerge for me as something that was um, on my kind of conferencing agenda till post graduation.
1: So did you go to APSAs then, or like, or, or even?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: I just, I do, I do feel like, I mean, kind of where I'm going with this question is I do feel like it is just so much more of either an expectation or upon junior scholars, or it's just an initiative that they take that they just, it feels like they attend so many more conferences than than it felt like we had to. Yeah. 20 years, like, I think 20 years ago, it's like, I, I mean, maybe... I attended, you know, a conference every year, and it was either ISA or, like, back then, it was, like, the Midwest, like, the, not the ISA Midwest, but the Midwest was uh, always in Chicago, so we'd drive on over there Mm -hmm. from Iowa City, Um, but nowadays, you talk to grad students, and they are, like, even with, I'm sure, limited funds are going to, like, two or three a year. Right. Yeah, and
0: I think that's great because mm-hmm. I, I, in retrospect, wish I had done more because then it, you start to see you, your And you find your people, right? too, yeah. Yeah, and not coming from an academic background, so I don't have the social, you know, the, I'm not born into the socialization, and so mm-hmm. it, it would have actually been a smart thing, I think. And I, I actually do remember, I don't remember what year it was, but when I was dissertating, mm-hmm. um, I went to an APSA, And I thought in advance, you know, okay, this is the person I'm going to say hello to because I was their discussant, and this is the person I'm going to say hello to because of this. So, and that was, like, the big thing. I'm going Mm -hmm. to say hi and make the connection, eye contact, all that stuff. So I see this person, uh, I won't name, in, uh, you know, in the halls after a panel. Uh And I get up the guts, and I go up and say, oh, hi, I'm Jennifer Mitson, We met at... um, wherever we met and you know i just wanted to say x it was very short Mm -hmm. and the person talked to me for a minute and then a more famous person came up
1: oh no
0: and no it gets worse and came up and said oh hi to the person i was talking to gave them a big hug and then the person i was talking to turned and said "Mouthed the word thank you (laughs) and that was about the worst I just went back to my hotel room
1: and processed that one for a while. So okay, you're not (laughs) gonna give their name, but is this person still in international? Yes,
0: and they're senior, and now and probably doesn't even remember this happened, and we have met a couple of times since. And had Did you perfectly... remind them of this? No, not? no way. That How was your opportunity. No, no, I would never do that. Never out someone. But because we all make mistakes. I would imagine I've probably made somebody feel I, I
1: worry about that all the time. Because a lot of times at conferences, it's it's just busyness. I'm not looking for famous people, but I do know a lot of people, just like you do now, uh, as well, like all of us do. Um, and I so I do worry about doing that, but I don't think I would have mouthed.
0: That, that was the worst part of it, <laughs> which was like, so oh, nice. my God, why do you have to make it so obvious? <laughs> but, you know, we, you know, it, it was just, uh, yeah. So I think about that situation, and I think, like, what, you know, I don't want to make that happen for right, any grad yeah, student yeah. ever. And I don't want to be any going into a conversation where I see people talking and ignore the person that's lesser of lesser power, right? Like, oh, you never sure. want to make somebody feel invisible because it just sucks
1: (laughs) and that and that stuff still happens all the time I think I'm inoculated from it because I just don't (laughs) I I don't know I just don't put myself in those situations I know you can always tell with a group whether you're going to run into situations like that or not I'm just not in those situations anymore but yeah yeah now I'm like worried that I accidentally did that
0: (laughs) but but I think that's part of one of the things is just realizing you know, we, we all probably do that. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of entering each thing with just this, this sense of, like, so not demonizing Reminding the person ourselves. that did it to me and then thinking forward, like, I'm going to try not to do it. I'm probably going to make a mistake, but I'm right. going to keep trying not to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> um, so when did you, when did you discover Giddens and ontological security? Or if not Giddens, it was, because I, I, I know it was probably. It was, was it Giddens? It wasn't Giddens.
0: Like? Giddens was a, a, a step in the way after discovering it. Um, and I discovered it actually because um, it came out of my other research that I was doing for the book, for the uh, dissertation. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I mentioned this in something I gave you that I was researching the, the um, Congress of Vienna. Yeah and thinking about that as... And the
1: anxiety that, yeah. that you're sensing in there. Right? Yeah, yeah,
0: because I want—I was making an argument that this was a, a, a big event that opened up space for this new kind of politics, and I just started to kind of ruminate on what it must have felt like. And I have no idea if any... Menorans doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would ever feel anxiety. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I just... Like if I was there, I would have felt that way, and mm-hmm. and kind of, or I and been able to acknowledge it, and then just thinking what it must have felt like to be in that room making those decisions, and then thinking forward, like well, what do those agreements mean if it's something different? And um, it resonated with um, that kind of anxiety. Resonated with stuff I had been reading, maybe a biography of Cohut or something on oh, the side, really? or okay. like I was just and and just from. You know, from having done therapy in the past and uh-huh. kind of thought about psychoanalysis for a while um, on the side, it just kind of all came together. And I don't know who it was that pointed me to Lang from the cohort stuff, but somebody did. And then uh-huh. I went there and then. So you
1: did start with, with Lang? Then. I
0: started with a bit, I started uh-huh. with Lang in secondary literature on Lang. Right,
1: right. And then,
0: uh, um, as one does, and then um, got to Giddens from there.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and. Uh, yeah, and then. But then you
1: said that um, you were laughed the first time that you presented your argument. It must have been on a panel.
0: This was a panel at APSA in um, two thousand and one in San Francisco.
1: So you would have I been, think had so. you defended? Were you were you documented yeah. by this point? I, w-
0: I was newly documented. Okay, right. So, and it said, so I was
1: laughed at by a senior scholar on my panel.
0: Yeah, it was, that was pretty awful. I won't say who this person was
1: either. <laughs> what, like, on the, on what basis, though? I'm just Well,
0: I, because the first draft of it um, had... So this was the auto It was the auto-paper that, it was 2001 was the first draft of it. Okay. And it got published in 2006.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but it had a more extensive discussion of, like, the battered woman thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: and that because I was really working through thinking about that and mm-hmm. the actress-waitress like those were two things that were helping me the think about the waitress <laughs> yeah that's such a bit,
1: like for some reason that just I that I can recall that re- like a, as a reflex now because that's such a vivid illustration that you had well about. it
0: was longer in the first <laughs> draft, so maybe there was a reason to laugh I don't know but it was you know the discussant who um I was alex cooley possibly he was mm. awesome and he took it all you know, like super seriously and talked about what it would be like to translate psychoanalytic ideas all the way up and yeah, he was he's, he's really terrific dude, yeah. yeah he was really awesome and i don't remember who else was on the panel but there was that you know that that people right, do yeah <laughs> and that was horrible so um so yeah that was kind of a I a I drag. just wonder on
1: what basis like, because it's not like the FPA folks hadn't, they were already talking about psychological stuff, right?
0: Yeah. So it was, it was probably, like, just a discomfort. Maybe, and again, it probably, probably goes to the analogies I was using. Oh, it was okay. like,
1: um I And mean, were you already dealing think. with the, um, the levels of analysis, like, challenge even then or not? Like, I, you-
0: I wasn't yet worried about it because it was literally, I wrote it in, like, three weeks that for that very first draft, and that was the first time I was seeing a light of day, mm-hmm. right? So it was that kind of.
1: But you wrote it that quickly because you you just well, caught a bug. I it mean, was were you just yeah, like, it was
0: like it was kind of like that. It was like a, it, and I finished the dissertation, and mm-hmm. I was it was that time, and it was yeah. So, um, but it was super different from the the paper that ended up being published.
1: Right. Well, I, I mean, I think the first time I came across your um, pa- the paper version. This was like right when I was discovering Google. <laughs> like people like Google is still so like integrated in what we do now, but like in the early two thousands, there were li- there are all these different search engines. If you remember, there was Lycos, there was Yahoo, there was there are all these different ones. And so I- I- Excite and like I remember I I found it. I want to say in the fall of '02 maybe, or the spring of 03, you oh, had okay. posted it on some, oh, okay. or some, like, you had yeah. presented it somewhere, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was the APSA version one uh, from the year before, but either you had posted it on a website or or maybe some conference proceedings, and yeah. that was right when that was starting to happen, where e-copies were being uploaded yeah. to the paper archives, because it was still at a time when, like, the first ISA I went to... Um, was still doing the paper room. Do you remember this? Oh gosh, yes, yeah. Yeah, you like, and you like, and and if people didn't have the stacks of paper, you could buy them, or if people didn't have the <laughs> stacks of papers, you'd write down you'd your, leave, name? your yeah. name, or you'd leave a card, right? Yeah. Do you remember that? I do.
0: That's and so funny. People look at me like
1: like the younger scholars now. Oh my gosh. they look at me like I'm like a, a, a dinosaur. But um, so maybe I don't know. But that was right. But then. But weren't
0: you working your RIS paper at that time? So was that I was, right? yeah. and,
1: and I had just defended in the fall of. 03, I had I was ABD. I defended my my prospectus in the summer, but that was when I was really up, uh, reading a lot of McSweeney. Okay, and he talks quite a bit about insecurity, identity, yeah. interests um, via Giddens, though, right? So I had no idea that Lang was the one that came up with mm. it. Um, and then your paper mentions Lang, obviously, and so I or the pa- that version of the paper that I had, so I went back into that, and then I was working on my um the the civil war british neutrality piece um but you you mentioned like for me it was just ras was the only place i i set set mine it took a couple of revisions but you sent it to four journals
0: i know i, I and i know
1: you've t- you probably told me the story but most of the time i'm so jet-lagged at like the places where we're at that i i just forget this but it was rejected like which maybe you can't say which journals you sent it to or
0: I, I mean, I don't see why not, but I don't also don't want to. Um, I'm super happy and feel really lucky that it came out. I think we're hour. all
1: kind of lucky that it did. Yeah,
0: like yeah. I just feel and really. And at that
1: time, too. Right? I feel
0: really like privileged. Like it was amazing, and that review process was tough,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: uh, there was a genuine back and forth, and mm-hmm. it was. I just feel like the paper got a lot better in that process, and I'm I couldn't be happier with um, you know. That that outcome, but. um,
1: What was the basis of the rejections at other journals, though? Oh my
0: god, the funniest one I got. I don't know if it's cool to say that Yeah, yeah, please. (laughs) Got to be cool. There was one journal that rejected me with one of the reviews. It was like this song, and I'm making like a very small space. Yeah, we're talking like a paragraph
1: (laughs) here. And it said, "I'm a
0: big supporter of the constructivist." Perspective from which this article is drawn, but and it, it, this is terrible for you know. And then I had like two reasons, and I felt like they read one paragraph.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that won the day. They rejected it. And then there was one journal where I sent it to, and then they got an R and R, and I sent it back, and I got a reject. were a couple. Yeah. And then. Um, so yeah. you got
1: to R and R and then revised it, sent it back, and still, and then got a reject. Wait, so you, you got know def- what? That's, I, that's far along.
0: I think that's what happened, because mm. what happened was the journal editorship changed hands. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, and I, I remember taking the, like, horribly embarrassing in retrospect, um, uh, effort of asking someone to intervene on my behalf that I didn't know that well, and it oh. made them super incom- uncomfortable, and so I will never do that again. Um, but, but yeah this is i mean so. this is
1: during a time probably when had your apsr article been um, no
0: they both came out in 2006 they did but yeah. had it
1: had it been when you're asking people to intervene yet had you had the um had you had the any of your articles because you're still looking at your first no
0: those those were my first They're your first hits
1: yeah and then they all hit it right around the same yeah. time yeah um which is always how it goes it's like you're sitting here waiting 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 and then they all hit it at the same time but um so did you did you ever find out? Uh did you ever run into any people that disclosed that they were reviewers of it, either for the other journals or at EJIR or
0: Um, I did run into a reviewer for for someone that had reviewed it for a journal that mm-hmm. liked it and, and pressed for it to be an R and R, but it got two R and Rs and a reject and they rejected it at this journal. And um so and that person outed themselves to me uh-huh. and, and was really has become a huge supporter. So it sure. was really, really yeah. great. Um, so in
1: addition to just subsuming you on your constructivism or whatever, like what were the other bases for the for the criticisms? Then?
0: Scaling up.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, that was that was a really big one. Oh, oh no, what oh what one journal uh, oh but that need for security is a constant and you have to have variations. So now I have a whole section on Gosh. flipping variation, but as as if a realist has ever had to have
1: variation. <laughs> I know.
0: States need security. No, no, no. You need variation. I've never heard that. <laughs> right.
1: Like
0: why? So why? Yeah
1: her structural polarity only changes once every 40 years but yeah. that's
0: that's <laughs> totally
1: fine
0: so yeah i don't know if you ever got that about that. i did
1: i, I got that up a lot and the i mean you know nowadays i'm just like exhausted with the <laughs> with the scaling up only because i put so I, I feel like i put so much and you did as well we put so much effort into defending the move to scaling up when when a like other isms were, or whatever, other folks that were ascribing individual properties the states weren't having to do that. And, and B, it's like they're not even... Like, if these aren't enough reasons, then you're you're, you're just like... You're skeptical of the whole thing, so why right. Why keep asking me to come up with more reasons?
0: Exactly, because they mm. already know they're not going to want it. They're not going to accept it. It's not right. like they're asking for a deliberative process where they change their priors. They're just not. <laughs> no, no, I
1: know.
0: So. Um,
1: well, so do you know, do you remember where um, you were when the EJIR article got finally got accepted?
0: No, but wait. I want to say one other thing. Oh, about yeah, that. yeah One yeah, of yeah. the one of the criticisms. I remember this from vividly from one of the presentations I gave on it. And someone's like, "Well, I just don't see how you could apply social theory to states, right?" And I was like, "You and your work apply rational choice to states, right, right?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're like, "Boom, boom, boom!" <laughs> I was like, "Oh, it was like this big moment." <laughs> so anyway, um, I don't remember where I was. I have. I, I have no idea. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, I thought there was like a moment where you and did no, it go it, from like R and R to accept or was it? It
0: went from R and R to accept, but but you know, and I think it was because I just felt so beaten down by the whole process. Oh, I see that. you didn't I feel, feel like, like you could over really the course of you know three years or whatever, it mm. had just been one thing after another, and um, I mean, I do remember getting a nice letter from. Um, possibly was, was the end yeah. at the time? Yeah. and it was just a really really nice letter but I don't remember um, where I, I felt it to be a really nice letter because mm. it was very supportive and um, so yeah so that was that was really nice
1: so um so how did did you feel like you you had said your your piece with onological security after it came out and and or were you like I want you wanted to keep keep developing and it going forward I mean not just the EJR article you also had the JEPP article um, as well that both came out at the same time um, but then after the, because you had those two articles um, did you feel like okay I'm done or after the, after it won the, after the EJR article won the uh, best uh, 2006 article award were you like okay I'm going to keep doing this well um, it
0: w- that was a tough moment Right. Mm-hmm. Because I also... It, it's not just an intellectual moment. Because right. I have a baby. I have a I had a kid in 2003 oh, and... and, and
1: 2006 and you're at um, Ohio State by this time. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So
0: I had a kid in 2003 and then 2006. Right. So articles hit and I had a kid. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm on the tenure track. Right. right. So that was just a really tough time with how to... Yeah, if if like if you abstract away from all of life, how do I even then it would be tough? How do I allocate my time between two projects I love? Right. Then you add that I've got a 3-year-old and a newborn who is sick all the time. Uh-huh. And you're figuring out how do I wake up? Like how do I find t- enough time to sleep? How do I how do, do you all do that? Any of all? And yeah. and everything else. And so that was just a really that was a really tough patch. Mm-hmm. Um uh, all the way around. And, um, and so, but if you, if you bracket the personal stuff for a second and say, just deal with, I mean, I had to get a book out because I'm on a tenure clock. So you were, you were focused that. on the book. So I really, I needed to be focused on that book mm-hmm. before I could push forward because that would be in the, you know, terms of my tenure process. That's the second strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first strike has to come to fruition
1: mm-hmm.
0: with either seven articles for I a know, book, right? So, And I hate yeah. to be all professionalistic about it, but I had to really make that kind of a decision about where to devote the energy that I had mm-hmm. in the day um, that wasn't devoted to family or um, to, you know other obligations of teaching and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So.
1: And did you... Um, so I'm trying to think how far... Columbus would be from Chicago, like, what's the drive? Is it's, it? uh,
0: it's between five and a half and six hours. Okay, yeah, <laughs> so that's about what it is
1: for, like, like my family from, uh, I, like, eastern Iowa to, to Kansas when I was starting out, and we, we had a baby, and then we had another baby, and, um, but did you have, like, people that could come and, like, help, like, if you ever, like, you know needed to needed to go on a quick conference trip or or whatever it was or
0: yeah my my parents were really great Mm. um have been all along really really are they still in
1: evanston
0: they're still they're in chicago now oh okay right right um Mm. so they moved to chicago when we all left and uh they come out i mean there was one moment i remember distinctly there was one moment when um everyone in my family had the rotavirus at the same time and it when I got it so Otto got it then Mm -hmm. Emma got it then Alex got it then I got it and I called my mom oh my god I was like I just and there I got two kids in diapers like (laughs) it's just like it was just so awful I think, and uh she got in a plane she came did out. yeah she's awesome that way so yeah so she, she, <laughs> she came bad, out like, she was poor basically lady. flying into the outbreak oh my god yeah <laughs> like utterly insane but um yeah but th- so that was at the more extreme end but mm. overall i i've been was lucky that way
1: certainly, that every once so that in a while, they could they, they could,
0: could step in they uh, could help out when you know we already alternated conferences basically Alex and me, so... And
1: which, um, what was your, like, back then, as an assistant professor, what was your teaching load at Ohio State? Was it 2-2? Um, on the,
0: we were on the quarter system at the time, and it was 2-2, and now it's semesters.
1: It is. Okay. Um, so were, had you taught a lot in, um, in grad school?
0: I taught, um, a little bit. I taught, Mm. uh, towards the end, because it took a while to finish, and I taught in those last couple years, and then I did, um one semester at Northwestern mm-hmm. I taught a couple of classes so I, I did have some teaching experience before
1: did you feel like that was an adjustment at all at Ohio State or not really or definitely you, and oh, I, okay. I, I mean
0: it's a different student population than right. Chicago or uh, Northwestern mm-hmm. um, and it's a different educational mission um, hmm. And I actually really believe in them. I imagine it's similar
1: to Utah. Same, same as Utah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's I, a public sort of service or vocation. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and there's something really nice about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, um, it has kind of, it's changed the way that I teach, certainly intro level classes, but even all the way through. But I don't know how much of that is the school and how much is um, now, you know, no shad Left Behind, right. and how much of it is, know, you know, that, yeah, yeah so mm-hmm. there's other reasons why my teaching may have changed.
1: Were, were you teaching any grad courses right from the beginning, or?
0: Um, at Ohio State?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I taught, uh, they threw me into grad seminars right away. Oh, yeah. seriously? Yeah. Deliberately I, I did, t-
1: I did two at Kansas, but, did um, you? yeah, but I, that was the one thing, because I, I had taught before, but I hadn't really, um, I had no idea how to teach. A grad seminar, other than just like reflecting on the ones that I enjoyed as a grad student myself, but I don't know if that's yeah. And how you is did that
0: it. yeah? And I didn't really know it. Was, that was a really tough. That was harder, I think, than going into the undergraduate classroom. Right? Mm-hmm. Was was how do you teach a grad seminar? Um, and I actually just talked about this at the panel this morning. Oh, cool. So we yeah. did it. Um, that was my thing. Was on a homesteading space for women in the IR seminar. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I and I steal that phrase from Annika Cronsell who wrote this amazing article. Have you read her homes, uh, homeless in academia? Oh, no, nah. so good. Is it good? Love okay, that. I'll have to read. Really yeah, good. and she's building on um, Christine Sylvester on homesteading. Mm-hmm. So that so I was just kind of thinking about how do you make space for women in IR seminar because it's not the most hospitable. Space. Oh, gosh, no, no, um, you know, on a lot of different levels uh, or in a lot of different sites that you can see it the composition of the syllabus the patterns of the way we speak in class uh, yeah you know all kinds of, who
1: jumps yeah in. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah so there's all kinds of ways and i was not the best seminar participant as you know uh as a grad, as a grad student, student yeah. i was pretty quiet so then sitting at the helm was was tough but then again, I, I didn't really work out that much before I became an aerobics instructor. So it was, you know, sometimes the best way to figure out how to do something is Just to jump, is is in, to and jump in and teach it. Yeah.
1: So. Um, so then, uh, when were you shopping the book around then? In the late 2000s? Or I'm trying to think, because... Um...
0: Yeah, I... Um, Yeah, so it came out in what, 2013? Yeah, that's yeah, that's what So yeah, I sent it to a couple places and ended up working. I felt felt really lucky to work with David Purvin over at Chicago. He was amazing, uh-huh. um, and and that was actually. The editorial process of working with Chicago was fantastic at the time. Um, He's no longer there, and I don't even know if they have an IR list anymore. But, um,
1: <laughs> well, but Andrew... Andrew and um, Andrew Ross yeah, and I he, were in
0: the same boat. Yeah, he published,
1: <laughs> he published his book with, with Chicago, right? I think about a year later. Yeah, right? and he yeah.
0: also worked with uh, David. David, and, yeah. Yeah, and he was, he was really great in terms of... Um, Helping me uh, process the feedback, helping mm-hmm. me um, just go go through that whole thing, and I I remember that there were there was, I sent it to three presses the mm-hmm. proposal or the manuscript to three presses and two reviewed it, um, and one gave me an R mm-hmm. and R, uh, and one was was Chicago and mm-hmm. they wanted to give me a contract pending but that I needed to do revisions, and. Um, and so I went with Chicago, uh-huh. uh, even though the list was smaller, because I really just felt that he was a good person to work with. And mm-hmm. then also just the, the timing of, to be frank, the tenure process, I needed that contract in hand. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um, and, um, and I'm really happy. I feel like he, uh, again, like he just was really good with the process. Mm-hmm. And even there's one thing. The way I open the book is with this analogy and... Um, and we—I remember having a conversation with him about like how do you open a book like this and what—and and he talked to me about, you know, well if you want people to be thinking this, you open it this way. If you uh-huh. want them to think that, and and um, I knew that I that I wanted it to be considered as a contribution to theory, uh-huh. but it had a lot of empirical chapters. Yeah, the
1: the historical uh, uh, coverage is it's amazing. A, it's yeah. a lot
0: of pages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So. But I, I knew that I, I was excited about making a theoretical mm-hmm. contribution. And mm-hmm. so the idea was, like, or the, the trick was, to try to introduce something that's going to get at the theoretical themes mm-hmm. so that um, those are planted in the reader's mind, in a sense, mm-hmm. before moving on to, to their stuff. And yeah. Yeah. I experimented with, so, and I love that phase of writing. Mm-hmm. I like all the phases, but that one's a really fun one. It you know, is finished product, and then how do you... like? Get that perfect intro. Mm-hmm. So the, at one point, um, David has suggested I watch this movie called I think The Orchestra. It's a Fellini movie because uh-huh. he thought that an orchestra without a conductor, right? That's like a public. So I, I watched this movie and like <laughs> brainstormed. It's flat did not go anywhere and it, so i was just trying all kinds of different uh-huh. things and then i ended up with this antitrust uh thing that i was like yes that's it I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna do it it's got the ambivalence it's got the two things it's got mm-hmm. so anyway so that was just a a moment where i wouldn't have got i don't think i would have gotten to that without having that kind of productive interaction with it mm-hmm. with an editor so that was- oh that's
1: great i've had one i had one experience like that with my my um my University of Michigan Press book, Melody Herr. I, I, you might have met her. She, she was an editor at University of Michigan Press, and now she's up. but she's come to ISA Northeast a couple of times. Um, she did the same thing. She's like, I don't get this. I don't get... So you need to just explain it to me. I'm not an international relations scholar. Just explain it to me, like, what aesthetics means, what this sort of, you know, uh, visuality of security means, and I just kept trying to explain it. I couldn't. And then... <laughs> And then when I did, she's like, there you got it. And I'm like, I don't know what I just said because I've said like four different things. And I don't know which one I just said. <laughs> but it was the same way. But most of the other editors I've had, I mean, they're, they're great. They're really good to work with. And they give you good advice, like tactical advice regarding what to put into this response letter. Mm-hmm. And in which reviewer to particularly pay attention to. Um, and that was the one that really shaped the intro of a book in a way that.
0: Yeah, and th- that like one moment that spurs the yeah. right mm-hmm. the, the yeah helps you make that link. So so, yeah. so the
1: the um so you and I have talked about this quite a bit on why ontological security seems to have just like kind of blossomed into the research community that it's become. Um, and maybe this sounds really sort of congrat or I don't know self celebratory or whatever because you and I. Were were part of it from from the beginning, but um, you do have in uh, one of your uh, research statements a couple of hypotheses, and so I kind of want to use these as a way to get back to um, what your experience was in the intervening years between when our like kind of first wave of studies, yours, mine, um, and and Caterina's came out, and then there's like a gap where I mean people were talking about biological security and maybe reviewing one piece or two mm-hmm. pieces a year. I mean, nowadays it's like one or two a week, you know, or I mean not reviewing them, but that's, that's the number of invitations that we're getting. Um, so between that and then where it just sort of blossomed, and you do have two hypotheses which I really agree with. Um, one is that you think the, um, so, so there's two reasons that stand out. Um, even though ontological, as you mentioned, is not the most user-friendly word, uh, first the concept itself resonated. It's a concept that links psychological processes to certain s- s- cultural, social structures and outcomes IR care about, especially violence and conflict. So I completely agree. And then secondly, and this is big, but I, I always, <laughs> but you kind of like, you kind of uh, uh, hollered at me in Australia when I like brought this up. But you and Katarina, <laughs> at a certain point, like made it happen, right? Like you got yeah. all of us, few scholars that were doing this, and we got a critical mass and then it just kind of unfolded.
0: Well, I have to go go back and ask you, though. Like, okay. because before... And I got to give Katarina like, tons of credit for this. She's mm-hmm. amazing. And I remember when I first met Ian, which was, like, in 2004 in Arena. And he, mm-hmm. and he said, oh, you're Because I presented that paper at that conference. And he's like, you've got to meet my wife. She knows how to bring people together. She knows how to make things happen. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, you are so right. But like, once I met her. And, like, yeah, and so you. she's just yeah. amazing. Um, so I want to make sure that that's out there. But I, I also just... Wanted to ask you, because when I was, I gave a version of Anto in Aber, and mm-hmm. the, I can't remember what year it was, mm-hmm. like 2003 or four or whatever, so and before somebody, it was before it was out, and yeah. somebody came up to me and they said, there's a guy <laughs> at Iowa who's doing this, and I think he thinks he's, you know, and, and he's going to be publishing before you, <laughs> like, it's, everybody seemed to know that that I would take a long time to get that one out and but it it was really interesting to me and like it was stressful and I was just wondering if you felt that stress
1: and I think some of that is some of that is just us being Midwesterners and and worrying about things Um, and I think I did Um, well for me it was even so I thought I would
0: ask you on record (laughs) yeah not at all I'm happy
1: to talk about it because I I've actually chatted with a few people about this for me it was it was my dissertation so yeah. I freaked out when I found your paper online, and I was just like, oh, shit, someone's already, someone's already done this. <laughs> They've done it way better than I have, and now I can't write a dissertation. And so some of it was just me finding that. And then the other thing is, I think back then, and maybe it's still this way, but the way in which people built up what your research was going to be is that you had to be either so independent yeah. or so competitive. Like, I have to be better than this other person that's doing it in the same way. Um, so that it immediately puts you in a competitive frame. And, um, and so then as a result, what's the missed opportunity? The missed opportunity is you don't formulate, like, a research community or whatever. because right. And maybe some of that's U.S. political science as well. It's like, well, what are you doing that Midsen hasn't already done or vice versa? And so you have to focus on, like, critiquing, you know, the others. And so I've, I've even mentioned this in one of that reflective paper I wrote in Lund this, la- this last spring that like I was really critical in the book of your scaling argument. And nowadays I look at it and I'm like, well actually that was perfectly fine. Those are good. It's like we needed more reasons. And then I added a couple more. And it's like if we're working if we're thinking about it as working together in a research community, it was like strength in numbers. But that's not how I don't know, I felt like that wasn't how Right, we were sort of taught to think about situating our arguments at the time. Like,
0: I totally agree with mm-hmm. that, and, and exactly exactly what you said. It's funny because it's kind of what I was going to talk about the Ed Andy's thing, which uh-huh. was this this socialization into a culture where who's who has the master theory of facts, right. right? And mm-hmm. so, is it internal or is it external, right? right? Like, yeah. and 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 who's going to be there first, and who gets mm. to kind of mark it, right? Like. It, uh, as theirs and, and I I was caught up in that I think and mm-hmm. in that phase certainly because I hadn't really established myself either I was just a grad student and kind of coming up and I was already in Alex's shadow and mm-hmm. I was like oh, now there's another white guy I'm in their shadow like, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> I can't find my own space in this stupid discipline and, uh, mm-hmm. and so then I was like well great and now forget it I, you know right. and I can't work on it now because mm-hmm. I gotta do this other book and so there it goes. Right. I, I just didn't... Yeah, I just felt like... And I, that was sounds like, a lost so, so, like
1: such an extreme reaction. But at the time, that was like totally the obvious... I
0: know, it does sound like really weird when I say No, that. No, 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 but I had the same thing.
1: I mean, I think... And I also think that... Um, I mean, there were, le- there were a few less journals uh, back then than there are nowadays. We had a lot less exposure. I feel like, you know, we would... You know, there were like four or five or six journals that we would read... Um, but it wasn't like nowadays on Twitter, you're feeling like you're, you know, with first view and everything else, there's a constant stream of studies that are out there. And it's like, I don't have to have something that is demonstrably hundred percent better than somebody else's or whatever. It's like, here's my voice and they have their voice and their take yeah. on it. Yeah. Right?
0: And it's so much healthier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my God. It just, yeah.
1: And I, hope, I do, I, I, I do hope that's also what, how emerging scholars view it nowadays yeah. as well. Um,
0: do you know I reviewed your book?
1: Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. no kidding? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, okay, so yeah, there was... The,
0: fir- the first one of your, the, like, many, like, your whole library full <laughs> of books that you've written.
1: You're so, reviewing my yeah. book like, tomorrow morning.
0: I, yeah, <laughs> I get to do the second one, which um, I really liked, by the oh, way. Oh,
1: thanks. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, well, and that was the other thing, right, is that I, I bet we were... I mean, we still do this probably nowadays, but we were either reviewing each other's work or we were reviewing the same pieces that other people were on um, producing at the time but did you feel like oh go ahead
0: i was just gonna say but i do feel like there was a shift mm-hmm. that um even if we were feeling pluralistic towards uh not not we just you and me but uh-huh. even if onto security scholars were feeling pluralistic or generous in their reviews i feel like the social the the um lund meeting and the and all 20, that stuff yeah, yeah. helped to make it more self-consciously oh this approach has two different ways you know has mm. many different ways to come at it right and, and yeah. it just it was there was something about kind of meeting face to face and talking about it together and kind of uh, and and putting the people with the idea that made it different um,
1: well and so and that was an obvious uh, one of the many, many beneficial outcomes of that meeting in Loon. And then thereafter, you had, um, you and Katarina organized all of these uh, roundtables and panels, and, and then other people organizing panels and included all of us. And, and it's like, then we just started attaching. And then there were like, I mentioned this in Loon, there were like the happy hours where we'd send an email out and it started with like maybe 10 or 11 email addresses and now it's like, you know, 40 or 50, right? Yeah. And say, hey, we're just going to meet at this bar. But one question I did have is, when you and Katarina sort of joined forces, was there this intentionality to actually make, like, make this a, a research community, or was it more just sort of let's just get everybody together that are talking about, about ontological security? Like even before the Loon meeting, right? Like, yeah. did you guys have this sort of plan to, um, to make it more of a community? No, because
0: remember, I didn't know her. We didn't okay. know each other. And so the first time we met... Yeah, when did you meet her? Though? We met at an ISA, I think, in San Diego, after Ian had said, oh, the next ISA, I'm going to introduce you, okay. right? So I was on a panel with him yeah. on Normative Power Europe, I think. And then and, and she came, and we met, and we talked, and then we made a panel together mm-hmm. um, for something. And I think Isha might have been on it, and Bahar, and, you know. And then after that... I remember
1: that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah Bahar because-
0: presented on...
1: Yeah, wow. and, and um, I, um, I had to leave halfway through, and then Aisha updated me and said, yeah, uh, uh, Katerina Kinball, you know, one of the major, the Katerina Kinball, was citing you, but she was calling you Steely Brent. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> <laughs> but all right, obviously being cited, sort of. Right, yeah. that's so funny. That was, that because was, that San Diego essay was in 2012, because I, I do Okay, that. so that was yeah.
0: a, another isa and then we just said i think it was af- after that our meeting in the context of that where we were like well we should do can mm-hmm. we get money together to pull everybody t- together for mm-hmm. a, a workshop and um she spearheaded that and got a ton of money and my departments chipped in and and then we just kind of pulled together you, i mean i had never met you right no and um i mean you had been coming to isa northeast and i came to isa northeast yeah but we path, never crossed paths I, like, I know that was
1: weird well, I was always hanging out with Harry Gold, so I was probably not at the conference. Well, and I wasn't
0: like in the inner sanctum. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but but yeah, so um, so we did that one, and it, even then, it wasn't an idea of a research program or anything like that, and actually she and I had discussions of, what is this? And mm-hmm. we had one collectively at Lund, but then even after that, as she and I tried to write a paper together, mm-hmm. is this a research program, a research agenda? Like, how do we think about those terms? Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided against all of it, in part because she's, we just, we have different, um, we approach the world really oh, differently. Oh, absolutely, yeah, And yeah. so, and, and yet, we I love writing with her and working with her, but we're just super different in our intellectual mm-hmm. orientation, and so there was no way we could have anything that included us both that had a name like (laughs) research agenda. So, Uh um, and I like, I don't know, if you came up with it or whoever, uh, ontological security studies, Studies, which just kind of brings in everybody doesn't exclude and then and, and the other one I really like is the ontological security lens because mm-hmm. it's a little more precise mm-hmm. but it doesn't pin you down Right, it's not like yeah. you know as it doesn't pin you down the way certain things do Like right
1: uh, and calling it ontological security theory makes it a little sound a little bit more hegemonic or, or not hegemonic but just like kind of um, just kind of one way to do it whereas yeah. ontological security studies there, there can be a lot of different ways to approach it ontological security lens there can be different lenses you know a lens through which but what we see through that lens can be different depending on who's looking through it right yeah um, yeah well okay. then did so i am curious about this because like when i was done with my book i was done with ontological security like I was. oh done. really oh, okay I, was, I absolutely done it's
0: hard to believe looking at your cv well,
1: that, well <laughs> now now i'm like all about it right it's like i'm all in and you guys pull, you really did pull me back in um well one is also it was just a it was just a fun, like, the loon meeting was fun, right? Yeah. It was just fun. I mean, that's one other thing. It's like, it doesn't have to be, like, a party the whole time, but it was really fun. Like, it's a fun group of people yeah, to hang out with. And so it was like, well, I want to keep hanging out with these people, so I might as well keep doing it. Oh, right. <laughs> um, and
0: but, that's actually non-trivial.
1: No, really, it, it really, honestly, yeah.
0: Like, as we move on in the field, you realize, like, if you find, like... Pulling in nice people yeah. is a really important thing to
1: do. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, and I I mean, like, uh, the San Diego ISPP in 2015, um, you know, I went to bed at, like, 9 o'clock. But you guys all stayed out until, like, midnight, like, dancing or whatever. And John Cash was, like, like leading the party and everything. So, like, moments <laughs> like that are fun. I miss out on them. But, you know, Not you guys. Not usually.
0: <laughs> I seem to remember Prague. <laughs>
1: well, yeah. At least you do. I don't I don't remember it too well. Um, Okay, so, um, but then, like, as a result, do you feel like, um, like, how often do you get asked to, like, review manuscripts on logical security? It's got to be, like all the time
0: right i i asked sometimes like i have a couple in my inbox but i i don't feel like i get asked as much i know you and you and yelena go back and forth on twitter but like i got five today and i'm like god what well what's going on it kind there? of like... begets uh,
1: you know it's like if you said yes to a bunch it just begets more invitations right. you know or like you've reviewed them there are an rs and so you get asked to re-review them. yeah um but do you feel like you kind of have i don't want to say ownership but um Trusteeship, so sort to of speak, of biological security studies that you need I to.
0: No, I I do feel a, a responsibility, mm-hmm. spe- and part of it is coming from um, the fact that I'm writing on it. I'm thinking about it now for my next project, so I feel like I want to stay mm-hmm. involved in it. And reviewing manuscripts helps me think about what people are thinking about, so right. that I can kind of um, stay abreast of things. So that's one reason I do it. Um, yeah, but it's not really to. Uh, it's not to gatekeep it. Sure, right? no, 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 no. Like, uh, yeah,
1: no. I think it's. I think it's all to the benefit of this, as I call it, research community that it's it, been inclusive. Right? Yeah,
0: and in fact, sometimes I, I've said more than once, like I don't think you need ontological security to say what to to make that the argument you want to make I sure. think identity mm-hmm. would work just fine for you mm-hmm. uh, because ontological security gives you added baggage or sometimes there's just so many other things to say about other aspects of the paper that mm-hmm. their in particular interpretation of onto it's like it's not really the most important thing about the paper
1: sure yeah um, so I got a question I think this is like the only basis of real disagreement we have maybe, maybe not I don't know on ontological security um, but let me start with a base of, of if not agreement basic experience, I, so I've always called you and I like the squares, right, and then Katerina and, and Stuart Croft and others, like the deconstructive sort of like rebels, Night. yeah absolutely, like the, you know, <laughs> they're so like post-structural and everything else, and you and I are kind of the, the conventional squares but I think, I mean, I think that's probably, I've mentioned this before at, at conferences, is probably because we were writing in a U.S. political science context and we yeah. had to engage like these more conventional takes, right, is that, would yeah, you yeah okay. yeah
0: definitely because okay. it it yeah
1: yeah i mean that was just too and that's where we started out at we i mean i wouldn't say that we're hippies right now but i mean we, right. we can read read widely but the one question i have is i think you especially with words like anchor and center of gravity you use those a lot um i think you you think that ontological security is achievable is that right As opposed to just fleeting moments of avoiding ontological insecurity. You know what I'm saying? So is our default uh, theorization of the subject, should it be ontological security or should it be ontological insecurity? You know what I'm I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess I I think of subjectivity as an always working towards. Mm -hmm. And so that lends itself to that avoiding insecurity is the security is, oh okay. you know what i mean like okay. so it's a constant effort to avoid insecurity but that effort part of it can be really submerged mm-hmm. right and might not even it might be in the unconscious right like it mm-hmm. might just not be so there's a feeling of anchoredness mm-hmm. um but it, the processes are always the oh my gosh, it's one step away from disaster.
1: Oh, okay. You, so, oh, so I guess maybe we don't disagree I, with
0: that. I mean, I get, I'm not sure if that's super analytically precise, but that's kind of, that's the way that I think about it. Oh, so okay. It's like layers, or, yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess I thought that you just, your your basic assumption was that ontological security is possible.
0: Well, I think we can, I mean, I guess it speaks to how much we want to theorize with, um, uh, I think it can be productive mm-hmm. to do analyses that are as if mm-hmm. right because I think and we I think we have some neat work by people who work at the state system level by yeah. thinking about onto security
1: mm-hmm. and
0: its pursuit and its a stabilization I think that that's that's productive work and leads to interesting insights I think mm-hmm. in my own thinking about what it is I think that's a moment mm-hmm. um, but I don't. If I'm thinking about subjectivity as a, a constant process, it is always right. because I think at the end, in like the paper I'm writing now on diplomacy with mm. with Minson um, Koo. Mm. They, you're always one step, one small step know, away from the abyss. From the whole thing right? just crashing
1: down. That's yeah, what I feel like I feel like that even more now than I ever felt before. Yes. Yeah. yeah I feel like okay. all
0: do right. So, um, but but yeah, I still think it can be analytically productive to do that. Mm-hmm. But then just kind of keeping in mind that that is a moment. Um, so it's a feeling as if secure instead of an uh, kind of mm-hmm. I don't know. Thirty, 30 years from now,
1: is. will people always remember you as the ontological security?
0: Scholar? No one's gonna remember me thirty. Yeah, years they, now. Will. Yes, they, they will. Yeah, like who are we, Will there even be world as we know it? <laughs> well, it's true. Now, like God, minutes from now, <laughs> maybe. Um. Yeah. I. Yeah.
1: No. <laughs> so, and if we did a distinguished scholar panel for you, like kind of a festiv, it would be. Art. Would you be happy with folks? And this is somewhat me asking myself this as well. But would you be cool with if the f- overwhelming focus of the discussion was not necessarily Habermas, APSR article, uh, University of Chicago Press book, you know, prestigious and everything, but it was all on logical security all the time. Would you be okay with that?
0: I'd be thrilled if people were still thinking about those ideas and Yeah, in like 10 time. or 20 like, years. I just think that would be so neat, whether mm-hmm. or not, you know, like, I can't even, like, process this. That moment right now uh, but but I think it would be cool if those ideas were still out there I just mm-hmm. I think they're important ideas I also think they kind of come together because they I do I yeah, yeah. think that that moment of that space of governance is a really uh, uh fragile space yeah an
1: uncertain one, right? yeah and how you and resolve that relates to both
0: and resolving anxiety is about kind of coming together and yeah. that's the moment in the in the governance book that I mm-hmm. think is still kind of the intersection between
1: the two, yeah. Um, okay, practices of the scholarly self. So, <laughs> um, so how do you how do you write? I, you you've always loved writing, so you're a lot different than me. Like I, I still struggle with writing, but I never. used no to No like way, it that's
0: really hard to believe. Oh, I
1: saw oh, I struggle with it all the time, I mean, but I enjoy the struggle now. Yeah. In grad school, I just could not. I mean, I was just behind the curve completely, and I really, really had to try to work hard to get up to speed but on um, from the way it sounds you've always enjoyed writing like even like back yeah. when you were like you know r- just you know writing in new york city for this first publication yeah
0: i i like writing I did think
1: you just pick it up when you were a kid do you think or i mean
0: i i mean i don't know i just mm-hmm. wanted to be a writer was what i wanted to be mm-hmm. and um Uh, And I wanted to be, for a while, a long-form journalist. I I remember in high school, I wanted to be a Rolling Stone journalist.
1: That is cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I didn't take the (laughs) steps to get there, but it was, like, in the... I wrote about it for my high school English essay at one point. Um,
1: When you you watch the movie Almost Famous, are you, like jealous of William because <laughs> he was
0: a really star. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't I don't <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I kind of wanted to do that kind of writing and mm-hmm. um, so it was it was it came and went mm-hmm. like that from uh, the front. So I really love the process. And some and it's really hard, but there are different moments. I mean one of the things I've learned over the past couple of years, um, the help of this wonderful woman I work with, Michelle Boyd, Mm -hmm. who is to just kind of own my own process and Mm -hmm. kind of dividing it into these phases and kind of thinking about the, that that moment of uh, when you're just introducing yourself to a project and you can read, you read around, you read everything mm-hmm. and it's just this explore, exploration moment and I mean, it's hard to find time for that in right. life. I know. But um, when you can, just the, the, the freedom to just think widely and broadly and then kind of that next moment of kind of putting it together mm-hmm. and like making an architecture of it mm-hmm. or, you know, and and then the next moment, oh, what gaps need to be filled in? And then kind of making it, who's, and then the next moment of, oh, who do I want to read this particular piece? Mm-hmm. And like all those different things are different parts of your brain maybe or different ways of thinking or different kinds of practices and
1: and you use that that kind of step-by-step process usually when you when you go through it i mean no i just like reflecting
0: back on the mess i see (laughs) that there are probably these moments that are helpful to call out because Mm. they overlap with each other and they're they are all messy and like you can't like i'm working on this project now on home and Mm. i'm i'm really excited about it But I don't yet have a chapter outline for a book. Okay. But I had an argument. And so, you know, you stop the music at a certain point and you say, I want to to submit and see what's good about this. I want to get some feedback. Now is a point where I want to stop the music and hear what Mm -hmm. I might hear from it. And so then it becomes, okay, well, if I want to do that, it's going to be an article. It has to conform to these things, so it's mm. going to... You know, like, so it becomes a different way of yep. thinking.
1: Yeah, um, But
0: it doesn't mean the other part's gone, mm. right? Then you kind of go back and forth. I don't know.
1: Where do you do your writing? Um, anywhere. Really? So you, do, you don't have, like, a, a particular spot or place or space that you enjoy more than others? Or? I
0: used to have <laughs> that. Like, I used to have an ideal
1: mm-hmm.
0: thing, and then I had... Kids, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I, you know, it's like
1: that. Oh, we'll just. Uh, I had do it an ideal can.
0: time of day that I worked, an ideal noise level where I worked, and now it's. Uh, I can, I can, you know, if I'm at a, a phase where I'm confused, I could be in the most beautiful surroundings, and, it and nothing's gonna happen. Yeah,
1: because you're locked up. Yeah. And
0: then other times in the process, you can be, you know, on the train. I, I know, and it's just so. like you, you have
1: it all out, and it just it just un, just unfolds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the
0: trick is like how to stay with effort. it yeah. and how to stay with it in those times when there's like no place I could be that it's gonna that anything's gonna happen
1: do you do you um but it sounds like you you start with the idea and then you outline it and then move from the outline to like when you said the architecture do you is that mean that you outline the like a paper or a book or or is it more sort of am I putting too yeah. much yeah
0: I actually don't outline do you work from outlines?
1: I start with an outline. I always... It's always it's always for me um, in binders, not binders, um, uh, like spiral notebooks. Okay. So I'm always, like, writing out the outline, and then, and then it's just whenever I feel like I got to get some part of it, like, whether it's the beginning or the middle, I'll kind of start there and kind of write my way back out to, like, mm-hmm. the intro and the, the conclusion. Obviously, I'm revising it throughout. Um, and it just depends on the project. Like, the, the Loon paper literally came together in, like, three days. Like, I just was, like... Yeah. Oh my God, I know what I want to say. I have all of it in here and I'm just gonna get out. And then there's other ones that just take me forever. Um, but for you, I, I don't know I, for some reason I have a feeling that you're um, like you're so like precise and, and really like um, uh, careful about things that it feels to me like you're maybe more of a um, perfectionist writer in terms of you don't like just charge all the way through and then just you know revise later on. It's like it feels to me like you probably need to have this paragraph figured out before you move on to this paragraph and so on am i right or not is that the
0: wrong
1: yeah, assumption I, right? and, and um, maybe some of us change over time too.
0: yeah like i i don't know i um there is a, a part of that but i it's also i don't outline because i can't see it's hard to mm. see the whole and i feel like it oh, often really? changes as um as i'm writing okay right so i i'll write a bunch of introductions <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. before you even get through any <laughs> yeah, of yeah so it's
0: like a you know just a bunch of free writing mm-hmm. on things that I'm reading until things start to take shape and sometimes the out and then it'll end in an outline so the next you know the roadmap is blah and then the next day if I'm reading through it it might end up a little bit differently so it's kind of like mm-hmm. painting the ideas like nailing it into the wall see how that hangs and mm-hmm. then you nail it somewhere else and you see how that hangs and <laughs> then you have a deadline <laughs> so it's got to hang it's that way hang, yeah.
1: <laughs> well i was even i mean like you sent me at the ipsa when um, we had coffee in 2018 and we talked about what is now the political psychology article that came out last year that feeling at home which is part of this project that you're doing you sent me like you called it a draft paper that you wanted my thoughts on and i read it i'm like <laughs> This is an article, like, this could be published right now. Whereas when I send a draft, it's a draft. Like, it's drafty draft,
0: right? Oh, please. No, I'm serious.
1: <laughs> I'm serious. But, um, so I guess maybe that was where I, I came up with that. Practices of self-care. <laughs> <laughs> but you you actually, so this is, because um, you um, you mentioned in one of the narratives that you had a, um, so, you I mean, you do based on your understanding of psychology already right you have a background in understanding psychology so you probably know the types of things that you need to do in terms of getting expertise or just you know yeah um talking to people and then and then having also a background um and being a, a fitness instructor you probably know what kinds of things <laughs> physiologically you need to be doing to to make yourself feel better or not miss, just to take care of yourself right yeah so do you practice all this i mean are you able to
0: well I think that um I mean it's such like you a get up every morning
1: and run or yeah.
0: like that. <laughs> no, we got I got a puppy which Oh, is-
1: there you go. <laughs>
0: yeah. And my daughter got a puppy, but I seem to be walking the puppy a lot. She curates the Instagram feed. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> well, that's important.
0: Which is really important, and I get a lot of joy from the Instagram feed. But right. I, and I'm doing a lot of the... And she does some of the walking. If she ever listens to this, I want to make sure I, I'm recognizing it. But, um, but, yeah, so I'm walking the puppy a lot. And With that's kind of nice. He's a uh, shorky-poo. Oh,
1: really? Okay, so I have a cockapoo. So oh. he's a little bit bigger, but... Yeah. Um, yeah but it was the same thing like we like, we, uh, we bribed our daughter kind of that we would get her a puppy if we moved out to utah and of course like if you're the if you're if you had the most flexible schedule the puppy becomes yours especially like kids. right they're like they're cute but they don't want to have and then that. it's
0: like see ya <laughs> yeah so
1: so you're doing the walk-in that's good
0: yeah so that's good i don't i mean i don't know if that's so I'm getting outside. That's mm-hmm. really good, and kind of forcing myself to do all those things. So that's all good stuff. And I, I mean, what really is self care?
1: <laughs> like, no one has the same thing. But I mean, I hear who's that self?
0: About it. That stable self that needs to be cared for? But. There isn't. I mean, maybe it's a
1: cra- It's like a constant crafting of the self that we have to just like recognize. I don't. I mean, do you ever? Do you do you consciously, strategically, intentionally? plan to do things that you know are healthier for you not just exercise but just like taking a break from work taking a break from email um you you know avoiding the things that in in excess you know will add to your stress level or is it one of those things where we just don't have the luxury luxury.
0: yeah yeah i mean that's that's uh tough i mean i try to um one of the things about having kids and when the kids were young, and especially uh, with two of them, yeah. just being a hundred percent there when I'm there uh-huh. with them, and not so thinking not in the back of my, or, my yeah, yeah, and not thinking in the back of my head I should be doing X. So it wasn't even just the physical checking, but the the guilt I would give myself like right. I should be working and trying to let go of that mm-hmm. because uh, kids can sense it. Right. Yeah. First of all, when you're half gone, mm-hmm. and then also it, it's just not healthy. Yeah, and right, the, so and the problem is
1: that there there is it feels like there's so much pressure to go in the other direction and and be feeling guilty about that in academia or in yeah. the careers that we have. And especially, I'm sure it's even worse for for uh, moms, right? I and mean, right. Academic moms that are dealing with this as well.
0: Yeah, I mean that that part isn't fun.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you do, but you do. You did make, and was that always from the beginning of when they were when they were really little that you said, okay, I got to mentally like. kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean them. that was
0: just. It, I think that was kind of a, a survival strategy because I just felt like there was really no other way, mm-hmm. especially with the second one. Yeah, with right. Like, there's yeah. just no way I could um, be half and half. But there is that pressure. I remember. I mean, that said, I you know, I'm not. A perfect mom by any means well, of, barely not, good enough but yeah. you know so i just remember vividly this one time taking my son to play at one of those train things at the barnes and noble yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. and
0: a colleague called to talk about something and it wasn't I work related and i didn't know the person all that well like well enough to say like i'm with my son at the barnes and noble can i call you back and so i was kind of trying to deal with that right and the looks I got from the other people around the train table—it was so horrible.
1: The judgment. And I
0: felt like, like when I hung up, I felt like saying that I don't do that all the time. <laughs> like I really don't. So it just, yeah, that was. So of-
1: you're getting it for both ends. Of- the one thing that you, you. And Counterina does this as well. Is that you are able to travel with your kids? Like you do a good job of traveling with your kids to like workshops yeah. and conferences. I I mean they're older now, so they, they're older
0: now as part of it, and that's know. a conscious decision. Like I really want them to see. That I do something mm-hmm. right, and and then also to just see the possibilities that yeah. can be there if they're you know and like in relating it back to what I spend a lot of time on, and then mm. also just showing them the world. Yeah, I was
1: gonna say like they get to go to other parts of the world. Yeah, you
0: know? and I mean I'm lucky to be able to do that on my own dime, in addition to you know having you know.
1: Yeah, that, and that's a benefit really of, nice. yeah, that's a benefit of being an academic. I will say this though, it it is easier if you can like. Um, take the plunge with other, like, colleagues and friends that also have kids so that the yeah. kids are playing together. Um, that's one thing that I haven't perfected yet. I did take, like, in, in Scotland in 2017 when the ISPP was there in Edinburgh, I brought my daughter and we stayed for a couple weeks. Yeah. And she was able to stay. Um, and then I did take my son last year to the Western, which we, we have to go to at University of Utah as an affiliation there. And it actually worked out better than I thought it would. But you are like, I mean, you well, took you took Emma to Australia, right? I took
0: Emma to Australia. <laughs> yeah, but and Katrina and Ian brought you know their kids, their so, kid that's right yeah, yeah. So that was cause really, we were all out
1: together, right. That last night I was there yeah, yeah,
0: yeah I brought my. Fifteen year old to a bar. To a bar. <laughs> yeah, she, and Chris A. just taught her how to play pool. So
1: yeah, that well, was awesome. And there was like live music. It was like a fun time. Yeah, it there. was really.
0: She had a great time, and mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was really great. But that and that made it possible. And actually, that was really liberating for me was to meet all these people who had you know and, and Katarina especially, but then also just um, being in Lund with all the people that are integrating family yes. and work so seamlessly. It was just was such a like sigh of yeah and like, like oh and, yeah. yeah it can work and it's not like a trade-off all the time i mean it is somewhat but it it also you know there's just a um i would never say there's such a thing as work-life balance mm-hmm. which just never is but there is this sense that you're expected to have a family in addition to
1: mm-hmm.
0: or, or not that you're expected but you're allowed to you're allowed to yeah, yeah.
1: and you can make it part of both worlds yeah,
0: yeah. so in that part has been been really nice as they've gotten older mm-hmm. so uh although now they feel like they have the right to go
1: with me anywhere yeah that's, like, are you t- are you going to Hawaii no okay see I'm yeah. not either and one of the reasons why <laughs> I, I'm o- kind of okay with that is I didn't want to because I knew if I won, I'd have to bring at least one of them yeah like say, how
0: you know. can you go to Hawaii without Hawaii. a kid <laughs> yes.
1: thank yeah. you Professor
0: thank you so much this is really nice all right I really appreciate it
1: Yep. Hey, that was my interview with Professor Jennifer Mitson. I hope you enjoyed it I know I did we had a really enjoyable discussion fun discussion uh, in-depth discussion comprehensive discussion and so hope you got uh, a little bit out of that I'm looking forward to working with and alongside Jennifer in the, in the months and years and decades to come so I have the ISA Midwest coming up another regional conference In St. Louis, I am hoping to interview one more guest uh, for another episode of the Hayseed Scholar, but in the meantime, it's getting closer to the winter and the holidays, which tend to be pretty stressful for everybody, so I hope you're taking care of yourselves. And for those that are wrapping up your semesters and finals, I hope that goes smoothly and you get a little bit of time over winter break, if you get a winter break. Or summer break for those of you in Australia and elsewhere uh, to relax a little bit and look forward to seeing you all in the next episode. All right. Take care, everyone. Peace.